0: Welcome back to another installment of the Podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Nathan O'Black.
1: This is a classic replay of the Podcast for Cultural Reformation from the beginning of this season. This was originally recorded in September 2021. Uh, this summer, uh, myself, Joe Boot, Nathan O'Black have been distributed kind of around the world. We've been away from each other as well as away from our equipment and we've also picked up many new listeners over the past year so we thought that we'd showcase this episode once more so that some of you can hear it for the first time. Before we begin, let me also remind you that We have the Christianity and Culture Colloquium that's coming up October 18th to 21st in Port Colborne, Ontario on the shores of Lake Erie, and this is a four-day residential program for Christians in all spheres of work and life. We're going to come together to learn about critical themes surrounding the Christian responsibility when it comes to how we participate in culture and how we shape culture to the glory of God. For more information on that training program, you can visit ezrainstitute.com and find out everything you need to know
2: as well as register right there. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation. I'm Nathan Oblack and I'm joined here in the Knox Cellar, as usual, by Ryan Aris and Dr. Joe Boot. And rest assured, uh, Joe checked our vaccine passports on the way into the cellar, so we're we're above board. No need to worry. And uh, yours look fake, Nathan. Don't it feels so good. <laughs> and if you were with us last week, uh, Ryan introduced uh, the theme we're going to be addressing this season on the podcast, and that's Reformational thinking. And uh, Ryan, where are we going to take that conversation this week?
1: Yeah, so this uh, this idea of reformational thinking or this phenomenon of what's been uh, referred to as reformational thought uh, this is something that uh, we at the institute uh, broadly and Joe in particular you've uh, you've spent several years uh, studying researching teasing out the implications and actually uh, for those of you who listened through the summer one of our uh, one of our collaborative uh, episodes with Amnesis and Genesis was a kind of drive by treatment of this, uh, this theme of reformational thought, hmm. some of the distinctives of it and some of the uh, te- teasing out some of the, uh, the implications of it and what we wanted to do, what we wanted to do with the, uh, the rest of our time t- here today and moving forward is Park on a couple of those things and consider uh, what it means uh, and what it looks like and how it plays out to think reformationally. Mm. Uh, so in a, uh, in a nutshell, that is where we're going. Stick around. It's actually going to be a, ve- a very practical time. Yeah. A lot of, uh, sort of actionable ways to adjust and kind of cl- calibrate the way, that, to the way that you see the world.
2: Right. And I guess that's a point we want to make right off the top is that reformational thinking isn't merely for academics. Mhm.
1: Mm-hmm. Actually isn't that one of the points that you make? It's not that's right. it's not about and we'll get to this, but it's not about trying to make everyone into a professional theologian. Right. Yeah,
0: or even a it's not even about thinking about thinking. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. so that we're just right. uh yeah. um sort of a sort of echo chamber of um mm-hmm. Philosophical thought about, you know, epistemology about knowledge, mm-hmm. but it really is about all of life, and mm-hmm. and that's why, that's why in a certain sense we can talk about how effectively resourced we've been over the uh, over the years um, since the founding of the ministry, really, by a reformational vision um, that allows us to uh, apply scriptural truth and the fullness of the gospel into every area of life, because mm-hmm. it's informed by a particular way of thinking
1: terrific Uh, joe um why don't we start why don't we start off uh there are loads of different schools of thought broad categories and umbrellas of uh describing the different ways that people see the world Mm -hmm. uh rationalism scientism metaphysicism Mm -hmm. uh reformational thought what uh what is distinctive about it? Why don't we Why don't we start there? How does it distinguish itself from other ways of thinking about and viewing the world?
0: Well, I would say probably the most important thing to say is that Reformational thought claims to be distinctly Christian uh, a philosophical reflection. It claims to be distinctly Christian or scriptural thought. Um, in fact, one will probably go as far as to say as that in particular it sees itself as um, emerging from the Reformation. Mm. And in fact, in the early iterations of uh, Hermann Dauwerd's writing, who we'll come to shortly, I'm sure, in our conversation, he actually called it a Calvinistic philosophy. Mm. Um, so what is um, uh, first and foremost, I think, important to say as mm. in terms of its distinctive is that it is self-consciously saying that um, the division of so called philosophy and theology into uh, the Christians do theology and non Christians do philosophy, mm. and that philosophy is some kind of uh, alternative mm. route to knowledge uh, for mm. the non Christian over against theology being the route to knowledge for the Christian is wrong.
1: Would that be, would the distinction or the proposed distinction there be? The fact of revelation, or like taking something on faith, is that the difference between theology and philosophy in that kind of characterization.
0: Yes, in that sort of characterization, philosophy would be thought of as uh, the 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 exercise of human reason in an Mm. autonomous or independent way. Right. Whereas theology involves these um, super rational, um, uh, supra rational commitments. Mm. Uh, that are sort of leaps of faith right. beyond reason. Uh, that's really the way it's been characterized in the in secular thought mm-hmm. in in the in the Western tradition. Now, of course, this is not to say that there haven't been Christians who have uh, attempted to d- develop a distinctly uh, Christian way of thinking uh, to and to actually look at some of the resources of philosophy. Mm and seek to uh take a a a more christian approach um but these have been uh what we might call synthesis approaches so Mm. and we'll probably do an entire podcast on this um in the in the weeks ahead but for example the the angelic doctor uh thomas aquinas Mm. um uh, to whom we owe the sort of the, the whole tradition of scholasticism took aristotle obviously a pagan philosopher, Mm -hmm. and sought to interpret Aristotle, Mm -hmm. in fact, reinterpret Aristotle um, for the church. Um, And so the resources uh, that were going into so-called Christian philosophical thinking um, were really pagan, and there was an attempt just to try and synthesize them with Christian doctrines. Now, what reformational uh, philosophy in its distinctive is saying is, no, we actually have to start afresh. Uh, We have to come at the broad uh, challenges of thinking, uh, not from a pagan paradigm, which we're trying to weld to or wed with the Bible and the Christian faith, but we actually have to uh, go to the, the scriptures themselves for a scriptural world and life view from which can emerge a... Christian philosophy of life, a, a, a Christian philosophical thought, mm-hmm. uh, which, of course, then informs our theology, informs how we think about the issues within theology, informs our apologetics, informs uh, how we how we think about the unity and totality of reality. And perhaps we'll mm-hmm. discuss kind of philosophy as such in a moment. But in terms of reaching for its distinctive, it, it was it was an attempt to say, thus far in the Christian tradition, We have not adequately, you know, Mm. if we want to talk about the Reformation, which went back to the sources, you know, back Mm -hmm. to the scripture, right? um, And that whole idea within, you know, always being in reform, going back to something. What the Reformational tradition said was we have not sufficiently purged the Mm. pagan philosophical ideas, and in fact, to some extent, philosophical theology, uh, from our from the idea of the christian mind and of of christian thought and we need to actually have a radical going to the root that's what radix radical really means we need to go to the root and that root has to be christ and his word and a scriptural worldview not how are we going to interpret aristotle or plato Mm -hmm. or some other philosopher for the church so that we can cobble together some kind of a
2: of a Christian philosophy. So you're saying before the Reformation, there were Christian thinkers that were attempting to develop a Christian philosophy, but uh, the reformers came along and really sharpened that effort and maybe jettisoned some of the, um, some of the thinking that was brought in and synthesized. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we could say uh, if you go back to Augustine, mm. you, you kind of have the first efforts there um, of a, truly brilliant and orthodox mind to wrestle free uh, augustine mm-hmm. spends a lot of his time trying to wrestle free from from um Neo-Platonism, from manichaeanism these mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. uh um philosophical trends that came down to him in his era manichaeanism was a kind of um he- kind of a, a heresy influenced by platonism um and he is trying to shake himself free of these assumptions that he'd uh, taken on these mm. these views that he'd taken on as an unbeliever, um, and tries to develop the notion of Christian teaching, uh, Christian thought, and a distinctly scriptural way of thinking about these things. Perhaps best summed up in his uh, his um, dictum: "You know, I believe in order that I may understand." Mm. Mm. Um, mm. So that believing precedes true understanding hmm. now it is the case that that, uh, that augustine does sort of conflate uh theology and and and, and philosophy that's perhaps again another subject and we don't want to try and cover too much in mm-hmm. one session lest people start switching us off in their car yeah. or, or in the kitchen right <laughs> now thinking, what are these guys talking about uh so but but certainly augustine and then anselm hmm. um with his sort of his famous ontological argument about, about God and Psalm in a certain sense brings, tries to bring philosophical reflection and, and prayer together as he's reaching for, struggling for a more consistently Christian way of understanding. And then the reformers, um, uh, most especially John Calvin is, it becomes increasingly self-conscious about the fact that, um, Greek philosophy is, has made its way deep into Roman Catholic mm-hmm. theology, and he's trying to shake free from that. Not altogether successfully, one might add, um, but tries to shake free from it. But very quickly after the Reformation, some of Calvin's successors are, are picking up again a kind of rational theology um, and falling back on some of the old rationalistic um, and neo-pagan themes um, and so it's not really then, I would say, until Abraham Kuyper, um, perhaps Groen van Prinsterer in the Netherlands and then Kuyper, where there's a, where there's a real attempt to respond to the, the, the modern uh, developments of modern theology, which, of course, some would say begin with Descartes, sorry, in modern philosophy, I mean, uh, with Descartes, mm. and, uh, and then, of course, Immanuel Kant. And how do you begin to respond to these rationalistic trends that had become, started to dominate the university, uh, dominate the
2: intellectual mm-hmm. class. And Descartes might be a good example, just to be helpful at this point. What What about, we don't have too much time to talk about Descartes, but what about his philosophy was fundamentally wrong that, that started mm-hmm. that
0: trend? Well, uh, it's interesting that um, I think it was Pascal who said he, he couldn't forgive Descartes because he built his entire philosophy without the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And that was something that Pascal, um, and again, he's worthy of a mention here because I would place him within this broadly Augustinian tradition right. of um, uh, his famous um, reflections or thoughts, pensée, uh where he, really just a brilliant brilliant reflections on the nature of the human thought, mm-hmm. um, the influence of the heart, the influence of habit. He, he understood that the issues were much broader than some sort of mathematical deconstruction of reality. Right. Breaking real- the rationalist trend was to try and break down reality into its sort of most basic parts uh, and then try and build it all up again in terms of um, the rational mind. Mm -hmm. um so Descartes famously you know cogito ergo sum I think Mm -hmm. therefore I am well what's Mm -hmm. the ultimate starting point for Descartes there now Descartes was a Christian he he was a Catholic Mm -hmm. Christian he certainly didn't mean to be kicking off some sort of uh philosophical rebellion against God Mm -hmm. but he was trying to put human thought on some sort of indubitable undoubtable foundation but his starting point was the self and the thinking ego. And that's really what I mean by saying what the philosophers mean when they say that Descartes um, uh, sort of kicks off modern philosophy. It's no longer God that's the primary referent. It's Mm -hmm. now what, in terms of when I reflect on myself uh, and my own thought, do I not doubt? And how do I build from there, from this sort of un- undoubted or indubitable starting point a, a structure a rational structure for reality um uh, and this sort of scientific ideal that so dominated the uh, the the rationalist era um so hmm. you can see how in many respects anti-christian that is mm-hmm. it, even though there was no deliberate attempt on his part to be anti-christian it's anti-christian Uh, In its orientation, because the starting point to to reflect on creation, I mean, and of course, John Calvin famously in book one understands that and talks about the fact that the knowledge of oneself is bound to the knowledge of God and to God's self-revelation. So the notion that you could sort of have some sort of neutral, uh, rational, philosophical starting point in thought itself um that uh, can that will sometimes give you give you some kind of um, uh, absolute logical clarity uh, mm-hmm. to reach um, undoubtable indubitable conclusions. Um, this was the big mistake of the of the the rationalist to, to place human reason really on the on the throne um, of uh, uh, of all thoughts. And of course, when we talk about logic or analysis, Analysis in the original meaning of the Greek word actually to analyze means to loosen or to or to pull apart, and so um, it's it, the analysis is about breaking things down into certain constituents and then tr- from their basic from their original unity to try and understand mm-hmm. them better. So there's nothing wrong with analysis, but a- analysis in and of itself, logical the, the the laws of logic or rules of logic, as we ref- think about them and talk about them. Um, don't give you they don't supply you mm. with knowledge or premises to begin your arguments they mm-hmm. are just right. rules for how an argument must proceed mm-hmm. so your um uh, was it uh i think it was i think it was popper actually um who who pointed out that um I, i'm quoting now he says all arguments must proceed from assumptions this is karl popper mm. since all arguments must proceed from assumptions it is plainly impossible to demand that all assumptions should be based on argument, right? You you can't have an infinite regress there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So all arguments are based on assumptions. Mm -hmm. Logic doesn't give you those, it just tells you how to work on them. So it can cut in a number of different directions, if you will, depending on what your basic assumptions are. So this is where uh, the reformational distinctive comes in as we circle back to, to, to Ryan's original question, is how do we build a total way of thinking mm-hmm. that isn't a synthesis jumble of a bit of this and a bit of that and mm-hmm. a bit of mm-hmm. here and a smorgasbord, which is what you know Christian thought really looked like from in terms yeah. of its philosophical foundations, a sort of smorgasbord. How can something be developed uh, robustly, consistently, coherently, based upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul, the apostle says, "You know, don't be taken captive by empty deceit, by an em- empty philosophy based mm-hmm. on the traditions of men, and not upon Christ." So Paul's condemnation there was not of philosophy as such, um, and philosophy, the the very word, um, is a conjunction of mm-hmm. of two. Uh, words, I think that's the right expression mm-hmm. to use um, of uh, Philo and Sophia. Yep. Philo meaning love, Sophia meaning wisdom. It's credited to Pythagoras in the sixth century BC, if tradition is to be believed. Mm. Um, but, uh, but, but fundamenta- fundamentally, philosophy, how could we begin to think as Christians about these, about the unity and totality of creation? but from a distinctly and coherently Christian standpoint. Um, Thomas Aquinas, for example, because of his debt to Aristotle and his attempt to reinterpret Aristotle, has this he's wrestling with this problem of how can you have, the Greeks didn't believe in creation, ex nihilo. There was no uh, um, creation moment, as it were. Um, creation as wholly dependent on an eternal God didn't enter, in, enter into their thinking. So, uh, at the root, actually, of Reformational thought is a proper understanding of creation, mm. and not one which is trying to incorporate, you know, Greek ideas of form and matter, uh, and sort of cannibalize those into some kind of Christianized um, pagan philosophy. Um, so, well, this is all groundedness is the, in Christ yeah, is key,
2: right? I was just going to mention that this this way of thinking has been referred to as cosmological thinking as yeah. well, has it not? Yeah. yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, so um, you know, we mentioned the, the Calvinistic philosophy. It was it was later called the the um, philosophy of of the cosmonomic idea, which just means mm. cosmic law, um, law for the cosmos, or, or you might even say that. In fact, there was some discussion about whether it should be called the philosophy of the creation idea, mm. um, but they but uh, because of the the trend of philosophy as that as a as a, a discipline which is looking for a fundamental law idea a law order for creation how do you identify the structure uh or the structures of creation they went with this rather complex maybe a slightly unhelpful in the end you know philosophy of the law idea which makes it sound awfully impenetrable and unfriendly mm-hmm. which it isn't
1: sounds like law
2: yeah
0: or like it- but law, so law, word yeah, a bit, is a yeah. is maybe a is maybe a good way of talking about their thinking. There that it's mm-hmm. creation is God's law, word. So this is the distinct, the big foundational distinctive.
1: Mm-hmm. Joe, you mentioned earlier uh, that uh, sort of at the the root, the radix of the reformation, the, uh, the behind reformational thought is the centrality of the heart, mm. um, versus over against. Um, uh, reason can you uh you, you, we've we've gone through descartes but can you just uh describe the like the distinction be- between uh those two centers what is that uh mm-hmm. what are those two different starting points uh get us
0: yeah so uh, maybe this is a good moment to to talk briefly about Herman Doiverd and how he understood mm. that. It's always a good moment. Uh, for that. So, so that uh, <laughs> uh, we can, you know, hopefully shed shed a little bit of light on it. So, uh, so Her- Herman and Let's sort of situate him as a, 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 um, a mid twentieth century uh, philosopher mm-hmm. um, who was um, actually a, a legal philosopher, really initially, um, and was within the. Uh, He's from the Netherlands and was within this Kuyperian tradition of Abraham Kuyper or Father Abraham, as we sometimes like to call him, uh, who had really begun to help Christians think through uh, their faith, not just as a set of doctrines concerning church order and um, a sort of renovation of Christian doctrine, but actually as a life system. As a, as a world and life view, that the, the scriptures don't just give us a, a, a church order. And the Reformation, he says, wasn't simply about a new church order. It was about helping, furnishing us with a total world and life view rooted in Christ and in the gospel. And um, uh, he famously, and we'll come to this another week, be, uh, introduced this idea, or at least began to give real shape to the, the idea of sphere sovereignty in mm-hmm. thinking about human uh, institutions, um, social relationships, and structures within society. And so um, so Hermann Döverd was within that tradition, and um, he began to uh, seek to uh, develop, um, in his study of philosophy, a distinctly Christian way of, of thinking, and he did so alongside his brother-in-law, Dirk Vollenhoven who is uh, often um, not mentioned, even even among those who are familiar with the reformational tradition. Now, what's interesting is that um, Doivrid himself said that his sort of aha moment, his eureka moment, if you will, <laughs> was when he was reading, uh, at the time, I think what were unpublished devotional papers of um Abraham Kuyper's mm. uh, and I think he was in when he was reading these he was in Kuyper's old office mm. um uh, on the, the the person and work of the holy spirit and which is to me very very interesting uh, in and of itself that he was and he and he said that he as he was reading them he sensed a very different atmosphere to Kuyper's more formal work more formal philosophical work more formal theological work that he sensed this kind of entirely different atmosphere in his the reading of Kuiper's thoughts on the work of the Holy Spirit and he said it was in reading that and especially the reflection on the heart the human heart as the center and the root of the human person in scripture that for Doiver this kind of moment it struck him uh, he says like a sort of bolt of lightning really that uh, the 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 problem or one of the fun- fundamental issues within philosophy had been the had been the attempt to find the root and um, foundation of thought, actually not in the the heart of the human person, but in one of the functions of the human person. So if you can sort of think about it this way or conceptualize it this way, um, the the heart is really the, the the concentration point of like a like the, the sun through a magnifying glass to a to, to a to a focal point. You know, if you are you know trying to light a leaf with a magnifying glass on a summer's day, mm-hmm. all the different aspects of the, the, the 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 human beings functioning in our lives. we so we're logical beings, we're physical beings, we're biological beings. Uh, we we use language. We're historical, cultural creatures. Uh, there's an economic aspect to to our lives. There's a faith aspect to our lives, and so on. All these different aspects of our lives, and um,
1: as we go on through the season, we'll we'll touch on those more yeah, and more, course. develop well, that I- those ideas.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. these, this is absolutely central and critical to mm-hmm. Reformational thought. So we'll talk more about that. But all these, but but we can all appreciate just intuitively that there are various aspects or functions to our lives, the way in which yep. human beings function in the world, and. Doiver suddenly realized by this sort of shaft of light, as it were, as he was reading this work about the, the Holy Spirit, that, that the Bible teaches that it's the human heart that is the center. That sometimes we might use the language of the spirit, the center of the human person, not simply referring to our emotions, not simply referring even to our thought. But the concentration point of all of our functions within creation is the heart. And that's the center of the person. And one function, of course, of the human heart of the, and of course, by the way, the heart is indefinable. As soon as you start trying to define it, um, you start defining it in terms of its various functions. Right. So, uh, and it's it's all of those ways in which we function in the world that that are expressions of so we might say in the sense that the heart of the person is is um pre-functional uh it's it's that which uh, constitutes the full temporal character of our existence is consecrated as at a point in our hearts um in fact doyver had actually even used the language that was people got confused about and, and muddled up he would talk about the um supra temporal the supra temporal uh, heart uh, in it, by which he simply meant that the heart is that which transcends all of our different functions in the world it's the it's the it's the focal point of them all now
1: but it's not the total like the sum of the parts no
0: mm. no that's right so um, the uh, that's why in that sense the heart is indefinable mm-hmm. and and you know as soon as you try and that's why it's always been so difficult for human beings to define the self. I mean, what what is the self? Mm. What is, who is I? Even when Descartes says I think therefore I who is he talking about? Who is I? Mm. Where, where is the unity of the I that he's talking about? So Doivert suddenly realizes that the heart is the central is the central point. This is the root, the religious root of the human person. And that things like logical reasoning and are um Feelings, uh, the sensitive aspect of our lives, um, the cultural and historical functions of our lives—these mm-hmm. are all um, ways in which we function within creation, within time. Um, but they're not the root; mm-hmm. they're and not ultimate. They're not ultimate. They're not the religious root. And what mm-hmm. was going on in Kant? In and he's and of course, Dührer, because of his era, is responding to Immanuel Kant and the and the neo kantians and so on. Uh, that followed him he says that uh, the that the mistake of these rationalistic philosophers is that they were looking for the in a certain sense the the archimedean point right the you know if archimedes famously said you know give me a lever and a place to stand and i'll i'll lift the world yeah um where is the place f- where we can stand to understand reality to understand the structure of reality its unity and diversity um the rationalist said well it's analysis the place to stand is man's reason uh whereas uh, which um the, the the sort of the thinking ego you know the the, the pure reason as kant would have said but um Doverd recognized that um this 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 um, rational ego this thinking rational ego that the philosophers were talking about was itself an abstraction it was a creation of uh, it was a it was a product of Kant's own thought uh, it wasn't the root of his thinking it was the product of his thought that mm-hmm. he made then and said oh this is it this can this will be the root of all thought but it's the heart that's the root mm-hmm. of all thought so the rationalist says the root of all thought is not the human heart which in some respects it wants to deny but it's going to be um, one of our functions mm. human reasoning Mm. and that of course means it runs into all kinds of problems which we'll address in other shows as we talk more about reformational thinking but this was the significance of the heart that you know Jesus makes plain it's that the heart uh, from the heart come um, murders and adulteries and, and 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 so on because this is the root of the human person scripture says that uh, above all else guard your heart it's the wellspring of life mm. so this language of the Bible of the heart never identifies man's reasoning as the root of his being so and then recognizing this religious root in the heart enables you to understand how and why these rationalists who claim to be beginning with indubitable reason and and uh, just fundamental truths of reason all reach different conclusions mm-hmm. and different mm-hmm. philosophies of life because their reasoning is not neutral just some sort of based on some kind of factual existence it's being shaped and informed constantly by the religious root, by the, by the, um, by a religious ethos, a spiritual ethos in the heart, uh, and that's why people reach all kinds of different conclusions, whilst all claiming to, to base them on reason and rationality, uh, because um, it's the religious foundation of knowledge in the heart, because the heart is the religious root of the human person. That's what switched Dover Verdon on to give a, a basically a cornerstone, a foundation mm. stone to reformational thinking, that we must begin with a biblical understanding of the heart. Um, and it's the Holy Spirit who, of course, mm-hmm. works on our heart, regenerates our heart, right. so that we can believe rightly. Yeah, of course. So that our faith can be rooted mm. in the Lord Jesus Christ.
2: Yeah, so it ought to make sense to Christians that a heart of stone that has been turned into a heart of flesh will think in a distinct way in in every area of life. Right. At- well, Go ahead. That's that's interesting
0: because um uh, let me you know if given as we've talked a little bit about Doyverd why, why don't we just quote him for a second mm. what he says about this when he talks about um the word of god the scriptures as they are uh, addressed as a spiritual power if you will addressed to the heart itself in the center of our existence. So now he's saying it's not not just addressed the word of god not simply as a as a text that we're analyzing for some, you know, um, exegetical exercise, uh, not simply as a cultural product. Here's mm. the Bible. How did it get assembled? Mm. Um, or even as a as a as a an aspect of simply our our the practice of our faith, some sort of pistical aspect of our life where we're confessing mm-hmm. the Heidelberg Confession right. or some other confession. Mm. But how the Word of God addresses itself to the heart by the Spirit. He says, in this central confrontation with the Word of God man has nothing to give, but only needs to listen and to receive. God does not speak to theologians, philosophers, and scientists, but to sinners, lost in themselves and made into his children through the operation of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. In this central and radical sense, God's word penetrating to the root of our being has to become the central motive power of all of the Christian life within the temporal order with its rich diversity of aspects, occupational spheres, and tasks. As such, he says, the central theme of creation, of creation, fall into sin, and redemption should also be the central starting point and motive Mm. of our theological and philosophical thought. If our heart finds itself fully in the grip of the self-revelation of God as creator, we can no longer imagine that there would exist a safe and neutral zone which is withdrawn from God." So you see the significance of that for all of life. If the heart is the root of all these other aspects, if our hearts transformed by the Holy spirit Mm -hmm. in terms of an understanding of our creation, our fall into sin, our redemption in Jesus Christ and the consummation of all things in the Lord Jesus, we can talk about more broadly, the kingdom of God. If our hearts in the grip of that, then we couldn't imagine that there is a safe neutral zone anywhere mm. that's withdrawn from right. God, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and that's why we, as an institute, talk so much about every sphere of life. <laughs> we do, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> and education, and politics, and yeah. law, and uh, mm. um, sports, and entertainment, and, and and economics, and any and every other sphere of life, because they are governed by a religious motive mm. rooted in the heart. It's that radical regeneration of the heart that was the key to the starting point of a truly radical christian philosophy Mm -hmm. uh because it's rooted in the the regeneration of the heart and recognizing the heart as the religious root of our being not our reason um as though you know reasons as good as far as it goes uh it's not fallen um this was the, the trap that many of the scholastics fell into they just thought well reasoning is fine yeah. uh you know the rational soul uh the rational ego it's all good but it needs but it can't bring us to redemption for that we need uh, the addition of grace mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no the the for a truly christian philosophy no that the, the our thinking our analyzing is radically depraved and fallen mm. because of the condition of our heart which is the religious root of our being yeah
1: yeah and that uh I think it's important. We've said it a couple of times that, like, radically depraved. That's that's not just some adjective to mean very. That uh, that's fundamentally, foundationally, yeah. fundamentally in every area. Um, yeah. Yes. And this uh, this, uh, this notion of the heart. This is this is foundational to answer. I'm just thinking about kind of how, how this uh, how this plays out. How does this affect? the way that I see the world, because this, this provides a foundation to answer the question, what is a human being? Mm-hmm. And from there you can, you know, that's going to have an immediate and consequent influence on, you know, how do I relate to my neighbor? How do I choose how to educate my kids? How right. do I choose how to yeah. vote? Like, mm-hmm. All yeah. of these immediate things flow from, and are, or rest on that yeah. bedrock foundational mm-hmm. assumption. Absolutely.
0: Are we, uh, are we creatures made in the image of God, wholly dependent on him, functioning within a, a world that is governed by the law word of God um, so that we're, we're related um, inescapably in terms of meaning to every aspect of our life and experience? Mm-hmm. Or um, are we, in fact, to be identified with some aspect Mm -hmm. Of creation itself, um, one of the functions of creation so frequently we're identified with the the biological, we're just biological, biochemical machines. Mm -hmm. Some, you know, uh, some philosophers, philosophies have simply identified us with reason, rationalism, Mm -hmm. some with matter and energy, materialism, Um, some with... History. We're just uh, we we are just caught up in a cyclical flux of historical eventuation. Mm-hmm. Um, or economic being. Historicism and Karl Marx, and yeah. Karl Marx mm-hmm. in the economics, so that mm-hmm. we are you can account for reality and human behavior and mm-hmm. the human person even and the human family, yeah. purely in terms of economic forces. Mm-hmm. So, pretty much every false philosophy begins with a false understanding of the human person. Mm. And if you don't have this radical creational foundation that we're, you know, God's image bearers, wholly dependent on him, remember at the beginning um, uh, of scripture in the book of Genesis, there is this, let there be, let there be, and there was, and uh, God said, let us make man. And uh, every word of God, it's important to remember in this way of thinking is a law word. So when God says let there be, uh, there is both a command involved in that. Um, so the, co- the command of God calls things into being, then there is and the the, the, the the reality of then the response of creation to that command to be and to continue to be. and that's where there is promise involved. So when God says let there be, that's his law word, which involves not only the coming into being of those that thing, uh, but also its continuance, the promise of its continuance. Hence this idea within reformational thought of creation as God's law word. Um, and the the radical character of the human person is in that we are unlike, in, in, in a degree to which other, asp- other creatures cannot respond. All creatures respond to the word of God in some way. But human beings uniquely have a response ability, a peculiar kind of response ability to the word of God uh, to be a kingly priesthood within creation. Um, And that uh, we are God's image bearers. We are called to reflect the will and purpose of God back to all of creation and we're made for personal relationship with him in a way no other aspect of creation is. So until we get that right right as you've said there is no getting right the rest of our philosophy of life mm-hmm. unless it's rooted mm-hmm. there in the promised command of God to be and that we are his image bearers made to serve him which is which is foundational to and let's make this point really clear. The ultimate goal of all of this and of this discussion, as we take it forward over the next few weeks, is mm-hmm. is in the application. Uh, mm-hmm. It's in the fact that we are called. We have a responsibility. Doing clear philosophical reflection, cultural apologetics, like the institute does, is part of our response. It's part of our obedient response to God's promised command and to His command that we should rule and subdue and be His vicegerents, bear his image. So part of our task is to is to be responding in every area of life to the word of God. And as we begin to think rightly, then we begin to apply right. correctly mm-hmm. in these different areas of life. That's why it's so important. It's not some sort of dull sidebar, or that's only for those people who are oriented that way. No, if we want to have a Christian way of life, Christian action, we need a Christian mind. mm mm-hmm. We need to think Christianly, as we often say. Mm-hmm. And that's why this aspect of our response to the Lord, we talked a bit, um, I think, last week in our previous podcast about uh, Christian cultural apologetics, a true Christian philosophy of life being an aspect of prophecy, a kind of mm-hmm. prophecy. Let me, um, let me just quote Evan Runner on that uh, as we think about the philosophical task. He says, as Christians engaged in our philosophical task, We are to go on the offensive to extend God's prophecy to the ends of the earth, to all the nations of the world, and in pushing outward, always putting to the test the spirits that are at work everywhere in the world, confident that he who is in us and who by his spirit binds us together in the bonds of love is greater than he that is in the world." Mm. And that our Lord's intention is, as he has told us, the establishment of his supremacy over all his creation and the fulfillment of his creation design. End quote. Hmm. So that that's really what we're talking about when we talk about reformational thought. Not some abstract, dull, heady, irrelevant to the to life and the world exercise, but this extension of Christ's supremacy over all his creation to fulfill the creation design. And if we're going to know the creation re- design, we need to think Christianly in terms mm-hmm. of a philosophy that's governed and shaped and controlled by the word of God and a, and a distinctly Christian worldview.
2: Mm, great. And that's, uh, that's going to be all the time we have for our conversation today, but we're going to continue with this theme uh, in a new episode next week. And if you'd like to uh, hear a little bit more on this topic and much of what we've discussed today. Joe's written an article called The Constant Gardener, and you can find it in the 2020 issue, the spring 2020 issue of Jubilee Magazine. And it's a free download from our website, ezrainstitute.ca. And like I said, we'll be back next week with a new episode.
1: Those, uh, those downloads are actually on Ezra
2: Press. On Ezra Press, yeah. right, right. And you'll find a link to there on our website as well. Right. So on ezrapress.ca. And again, this is uh, the podcast for Cultural Reformation, and we are reminding you, as always, for from him and through him and to him are all things to God be the glory.